You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Listening to episode 61 of the Unsung Podcast. On our last regular episode, that was episode number 60, where we put Angelo Knows by the Trail of Dead's Madonna against Source Tags and Codes. The public decided that Source Tags and Codes does indeed make it into discography. So thank you very much for everyone who listened to that episode and voted. And the last actual episode was our Black Metal Mixtape special. We each picked a record and the winner was Thorns by Thorns, which was David's choice. So thank you very much to everybody who voted on that too. It looks like that the true cult Black Metal wins again. And now, this week, we discuss Atrocity Exhibition by Danny Brown. Enjoy. Uh, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by two members of the Deep State. <laughs> uh, to my right is Mr. Chris Cusack. He's a member of the Deep South as well. <laughs> He's right, I've just I've been watching a documentary. Uh, you know, Rich Hall uh, doing his documentary about the Deep South, and uh, so I've just got Louisiana on my mind. Sounds uh, like a the title of a beautiful song. I might I might ra- write that song for you, Christopher. Uh, to my left is David Weaver, who's a member of the Beautiful South. A bit less glamorous. I, I abs, I we, I had this argument in uh my work office quite recently. I fucking hate the Beautiful South. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they're genuinely, of, oh, they're, they're they're so twee and like every song sounds like that one song a band has where they're gonna go, oh let's just do like a fun like major key like lol song but their entire back catalogue is that I f- oh I fucking hate they're them they're kind of quite far down that road towards Lighthouse Family yeah they are, they mm, are I'd much yeah. rather prefer to listen to the smooth silence of the Lighthouse Family than You're Beautiful wrong. South no um, but I mean wow. you, the Beautiful you know, South do make a cock joke in that song Perfect Ten it's all about cocks and breast sizes is it not I'm pretty sure it is yeah and then there's that song where uh don't marry her, fuck me. And, you know, mm. that's edgy. Edgy. Fuck off. Guy was in the house, Martin's with Fat Boy Slim. He was. Mm. Yeah. That's about it's, like, it's, it's the start of a nexus edgy. in the beautiful <laughs> side. An impromptu nexus. Oh dear. Uh, to my left is David Weaver. Um, such a titan of the Glasgow music scene that he can effortlessly straddle with his uh, astonishing knowledge and depth of knowledge. Uh, the... Very Aryan black metal scene, <laughs> and uh-huh. this week, uh, Detroit hip hop, uh, and not even break a sweat. 
Yeah. No, I know. No sweat has been broken. I did a, a DJ'd a black metal night on Thursday and then I DJ'd a hip hop night on Friday. Was that like I mean, uh, washing yourself in the river after? Yeah, truly. <laughs> after fully killing. cleansed. Um, but yeah, but I, so this album that we're talking about, I think Mark and I both decided to nominate it. Yeah, well, I think after last week, after the last couple of weeks, we had to um, step left <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and we had to get away, away from the angry white European yeah. male. So we thought we'd go to the angry black American male instead, which is... Very on brand for us. <laughs> <laughs> just one more box ticked, really. Yeah, one more box ticked. So I mean, if all the all the uh, far right fans we had last week are just deserters and droves this week, so, you know, make of that what you will, I suppose. But yeah, we both decided on Atrocity Exhibition pretty much straight away when you mentioned Danny Brown. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think there's any issue with nominating Danny Brown. Because I think he's a really, really interesting rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a really interesting character. He does things that you know. He definitely sort of furrows his own field, as yeah. it were. Um, it's interesting but, that you you guys mentioned or chose him. Obviously, there's maybe a little bit of magical prescience because uh, one of the things that came across reading about him was his problems with depression and drugs mm-hmm. and anxiety and kind of chronic mental health. Uh, and obviously this is the week that Keith Flint took his own life. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's an issue that again raises its head, seemingly disproportionately so, uh, within music. Mm-hmm. Such is the nature of, you know, of when news like that breaks, we did have a brief discussion about whether or not we should do a project record, but, you know... It was literally yesterday, and we'd already done the prep for this. Yeah, and I don't think we would have given it justice. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I suspect when the time comes that we do a mixtape on the British dance scene, yeah, they'll feature prominently. I, I could see them getting nominated anyway, as at least one of us would want to put them forward. So, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a real shame what happened. You know, I'm just come off a tour, but to go on another tour, just released a new record last year, and like so many people that we know, and that. You know whose music we've grown up listening to. One second are there, next second are gone, and nobody seen it coming. And it's just like you say, Chris, it's like a a sad side effect of the the age that we live in. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think we don't have the metadata on it, maybe to hand, but I'd imagine that that period between the end of one long tour and anticipation or the daunting prospect of another long tour is probably one of the times that musicians, especially musicians with uh, chronic mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, are at their weakest and possibly their most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because even when you're looking forward to going on tour, I mean, I've we, we, we've gone maybe like five weeks at a time maximum, and I, I've, whilst been very, very happy about going, a couple of nights before you're like, actually, shit, no, I just don't want to go. I, don't, I, I just don't want to go. Yeah. And so I, I can... Imagine that scaled up exponentially for something as for a project as big as Prodigy. So, yeah, and you know, guy did a lot of gear. Mm-hmm. The guy had a, he probably had a reasonably eventful life full of highs and lows. So I'd imagine that takes its toll as well. He was, but seemingly by all accounts, he was a very nice guy as well. Uh, yeah, and Dave Kerr, fan of the pod mm-hmm. uh, and former editor of Skinny Magazine in Scotland, um, interviewed him and said he was. Well, amongst the most cooperative and enjoyable interviewees that he'd he'd dealt with 
I believe that initially Keith Flint had been the, 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 I believe initially the magazine had been offered 15 minutes and ended up Keith insisted in doing well over an hour and was very forthcoming with all manner of interesting stuff and even put Dave in touch with someone else for future work I think it was yeah um, you get a lot of the uh, the I met this guy at a charity do once he was very um, down to earth and very funny sort of yeah. you know stories um, testimonial but wise he's, but he's, it's yeah. but it's you know it's interesting that A uh, Lemmy who has come to sort of uh, satirise that entire testimonial look back at a thing he did one for Keith Lynn and then took it back because he kind of he reversed that and felt it was sort of inappropriate in this case because um, he was like fuck you know I, I don't want to take the piss out of this guy because um, it's you know there's nothing really to laugh about in terms of this and then secondly there was a good testimonial Lemmy one. or Lemmy Lemmy as it I so, said Lemmy I was like <laughs> no Lemmy Lemmy the famous Scottish comedian who every time somebody dies he says met him at a charity do once he was down to earth and very funny uh, and he's got on to like you know BBC News about 40 times being quoted for like met Roger Moore at a charity do and all <laughs> these things um, by the way did you know that Roger Moore invented Magnum ice creams <laughs> fuck <laughs> off do you know Margaret Thatcher invented uh, Mr. Whippy ice creams? But she actually didn't. She was a yeah, she was chemist that worked for the yeah, company. Yeah. That Magnum, are you joking? Um, Roger Moore uh, apparently was asked in an interview if he wanted anything in the world, what would he want? And apparently he loved chalk aces. And he said, I wish Walls would put a stick in these things so that I didn't get it all over myself. And uh, Walls heard about it, did it, sent him one, and apparently he was delighted. That's incredible. That's pretty cool. You'd think they'd make more of that. I feel like just have his face on it. We're maybe somewhat disrespecting the somber <laughs> tone that we were on there. <laughs> no, but another what an an actual funny testimonial I saw was, uh, but also touching was uh, James Blunt um, posted that when he was a uh, well, he still is, but when he was exceptionally famous and derided and a figure of hate in the indie music world. He's very funny, James. Uh, yeah. He was at, uh, I think he was at the Brit Awards or something, and he said, when Liam Gallagher uh, told me to fuck off and die, and when uh, Damon Alburn refused to get his photo taken with me, Keith Lint just came up to me and said, oh mate, I love what you're doing, hope you're great, and <laughs> was just a really nice guy to him. <laughs> you, like, and like, you know, if, if you're, he's a real person. If you're a Twitter user, by the way, you could do far worse things with your life than following James Blunt because he's very, very funny. Uh, really, really self-deprecating. Uh, yeah, uh, highly recommended. We probably won't cover James Blunt on this podcast, but James we will recommend his, his would, tweets. I mean, I, I'm going to, cards on the table, I would rather listen to James Blunt than the Lighthouse family. <sighs> I, I think I, I think I'm with you though. Well, I think you're wrong, but I'm sure you do. Uh, anyway, so yeah, let's go back to the the record that we're talking about: Atrocity Exhibition by Danny Brown. I'm sweating like I'm in a rave. Been in this room for three days. Think I'm hearing voices. Paranoid and think I'm seeing ghosts. Upset. So, like, interestingly enough, it is the sound of a guy that's been through a fuck lot. He's been through uh, the mill, uh, musically, socially. He's, you know, had big success. You know, not huge success, but, you know, he's a famous touring musician and yeah. has had to deal with, you know, addiction, mental health issues. And I think the reason we probably both chose this record is it's 
because it's the one that really has a strong narrative through it. Um, it's really introspective. It's reflective. It's dark. It's weird. It's funny. It's um, yeah. It's a lot of things. Comedies like the the humor is a big thing in this guy's back catalogue. And yeah, I think there's a bit less of it on this record, but there's still, I don't think you can ever get away from that. Yeah, the Triple X album I noticed mm. was like even by his own admission, like pretty laugh out loud mm. at points throughout. Uh, so shall we go into who Danny Brown is? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do the biographical details. Well, I do that then, Mark. Yes, yes, David, you can, <laughs> since you brought it up, I, I believe. Uh, uh, so Danny Brown, um, do you know what was funny, actually? <laughs> I don't know who had this story, somebody in the office, maybe. Oh, wait a minute, uh, I think I know the story was, you're going to tell. I think you've told me the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, somebody was saying, was in a Glasgow taxi and was off, I think it was going to the show that he played at the Arches, this is a few years ago, and was saying, oh yeah, I'm going to, going to, gig at the arches and the taxi driver was like oh who who are you going to see oh i'm going to see uh danny brown he's a rapper danny brown he's not a rapper <laughs> it's like <laughs> no 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 he is he's a he's a he's a rapper he's from uh he's from america no he's not danny brown's Faye pollock <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's a very sort of typically british name isn't it yeah, yeah. well his so real name is daniel dewan sewell is that right daniel dewan sewell yeah so um He's thirty. He's thirty-seven. Thirty-seven now. Mm-hmm. So he was thirty-four or thirty-five when this record. I'm came just out. gonna put this out there. I think that's pronounced Sewell. Sewell. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I I, I mean, uh, your your guess is as good as mine. When I was at a uh, non-denominational primary school, the the vicar or minister or whatever the Protestant equivalent was that led the Easter service was uh, Sewell, Mister Sewell. All right, I'll give you that then. Uh, Go. No relation. Chris's <laughs> Chris's uh, church upbringing. Uh, yeah, non-denominational school, <laughs> Protestant church. Uh, excuse me. I I know that happened to me in the Highlands. It was we didn't have Protestant or Catholic schools, but we just had the local minister who was always a whoever whatever he was. He was definitely wasn't not a sure cat- what he definitely word wasn't was Catholic. Come in. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, Danny Brown grew up in Detroit, which I think heavily heavily influenced his uh music yeah i think a lot of artists who come from detroit have got quite a similar kind of a flow to, to their kind of rapping but he he seemed to grow up in a s- strong musical family or he certainly got to listen to stuff like ll cool j roy ayers Cloud quest dad sort was of, a dj yeah. I believe. yeah 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 so he was influenced by that sort of sort of classic hip-hop and soul sound and he says that he always wanted to be a rapper he said that uh in kindergarten, I'd say I wanted to be a rapper, and people would just think that's quite weird. So, uh, no, he finally did it. He was one of these men that grew up to be the astronaut they wanted to be. He said, uh, I heard one of the interesting details about his early life was that his mum read Dr. Seuss to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of he got really into the obviously, Dr. Seuss is famous for the cat in the hat and the cat in the hat, and the, the, but the, the fact that everything rhymes. And he, he used to walk about as a kid speaking in rhymes because of that which then led to him developing a bit of an aptitude for just rhyming mm-hmm. in his everyday life. And that coupled with his dad's fat, like knowledge and involvement in music sort of seems like it. the writing was on the wall. Yeah. So um, he seemed to, he originally it seemed like it was a quite a tight family group, but then his parents split up mm-hmm. when he was 17 or 18. Well, I heard that his gran owned like five houses. Like they owned like three in a row, then she let various... 
divisions of the family stay in these houses and then she had another two mm. on the east side of Detroit and she let other members of the family stay there. So they were close in that sense. Like yeah. they, they, they weren't they were they weren't very well off at all, but they were able to stay within this kind of family unit in this collection of houses, which probably kept them quite tight as well, until, as you said, the the point whereby the parents split up. Yeah, yeah. and in that sort of neighbourhood, uh, he started selling drugs. He was sort of bringing home the bacon for the family. But it's interesting, he always, he said that he would stop as soon as he got in, in trouble with the law once. He always seemed to set himself these the goals of, you know, I'm not in it for the lifestyle, I'm in it to just, you know, fund the family and do whatever. Although he, he then says that he did that for five years and then got in trouble with the law but decided to keep going. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the second time as well, it was because he violated his bail mm-hmm. and then was like just on the outside for ages and eventually must have just got randomly stopped and they they caught him and did him for another what, nine months or something yeah. like, for bail violation. And then he got out of jail. Parole violation. Sorry. 2007 and started taking it a bit more seriously, as, as he says. His career a bit more seriously, going back to that that dream that astronaut he wanted to be. <laughs> what? Dave, Dave made that, that reference earlier on, so uh, yeah, it was a callback. That was a good callback. We can cut this <laughs> bit out, but leave that bit in. <laughs> no, I think people want to see the inner workings. It's like when you go and see Stuart Lee and he talks you through the mechanics of humour. And we're not quite at Stuart Lee level, I'm afraid. Not yet, maybe one day. Speak for yourself. One day. <laughs> but yeah, so he started releasing tracks and he was... Ended up working with, funnily enough, 50 Cent's sort of G-Unit guys. Yeah, yeah. Tony Yeo, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. but he says that G-Unit didn't sign him because of his look, because mm. he was like in a jeans and t-shirt guy mm. and they wanted people that were really bling. And sort well, of that's what's really interesting is that although he was involved in like literally like selling drugs and stuff like that, at that time, rap music was like hugely into bling and into, into sort of gangster stuff. And he was way, always way more of a sort of, trying to you know go down his own path and he was into sort of indie music and he was into mm. alternative you know pop culture things and well, stuff I like that i think the inverted commas quote was that he was too rock mm. uh, for their yeah roster i mean let he isn't averse to the bling chat lyrically yeah but certainly look wise is yeah it's pretty different so yeah, in 2010, he released a couple of mixtapes, which had gone down well, and then he released The Hybrid, which was his uh, debut album. Looking at the wall, you know the other half. Blue tiger fitted in a seven and a half. And I rocked that shit, and it climbed any weather. And my brand new blue tiger fitted new era. And I ripped that shit right Also the first time he used that sort of... High-pitched. Sort of High-pitched mm-hmm. vocal that he's kind of well-known for. Yeah, when you listen to his early stuff, and... There's a couple of tracks on Atrocity Exhibition that he goes back to it. Yeah. Um, he's got like a much, you know, sort of lower natural tone. Mm-hmm. And you can hear that it's way more sort of Andre 3000 Outcast influence. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. Like, I think he references Outcast quite heavily in, in his music. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably, a, a, um, I mean, the record's called The Hybrid because it's when he was kind of moving, like deliberately moving away from that. Maybe that was why. Because I think he sounds a bit like Big Boy sometimes as well. I think the, 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 the one is Be Real. Deal as well, like Pedio's, uh, he's on one of the songs. I know, yeah. but I think that's that's kind of perhaps not totally by coincidence because it's so Cypress Hill, his vocal mm-hmm. that that really like nasal, yeah, absolutely. It's just that that was the immediate reference point for me. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, the hybrid. So I mean, he talks about drugs a lot. He obviously takes a lot about drug, a lot of drugs. Takes a lot about drugs. He, talk, mm-hmm. he takes a lot about drugs. He's released four albums. So XXX in two thousand eleven, and then twenty thirteen uh, was old. The XXX album, they released it for free on the Fool's Gold label, that Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. So he he'd done the hybrid, um, and that he, he was you know that went down really well. He got mm-hmm. a lot of you it, know, it was cult, but XXX is the breakthrough one for him in yeah. terms of credibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the hybrid is definitely um, it's much more traditional in its sound. And yeah, there's a lot of sort of like G well. funk influence mm-hmm. and like classic hip hop stuff. Well, I, we were sitting up tonight. I was listening to the earlier stuff with like Brown Town and what's the other one? Detroit State, Detroit State of Mind. Detroit State of Mind. Uh, which, four mixtapes did for that. Yeah, yeah. Which, which are clearly even to like somebody such as myself who's not particularly well versed in hip hop, very very much owe a debt to kind of classical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely old school sort of. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 far more Mm -hmm. reminiscent of early nineties stuff. But there's also some there's also some sounds on the hybrid which can there's some synth. I don't know if it's sampled or played. Smattering of it on that record, so you can see him kind of thinking, yeah, thinking ahead a little bit about where he wants to go next. And you talk about XXX, which I think is a really good record as well. But for me, old is the one where he pays like the most tribute to the old school sound, whilst also making it sound really modern and up to date. XXX was Spin's hip hop album of the year. Yeah, yeah it's a really good record. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got uh, that sort of quite tight percussive mm-hmm. element to all the production. There's a lot of that sort of live snare sound in it. Um, so whereas, lot, and as I said, there's a lot of humor mm-hmm. in XXX as well. Yeah. It's, it's got some really heavy stuff as well, like Die Like a Rockstar and Monopoly are like really heavy hip hop. Monopoly's tunes. amazing. I love yeah, that song. Yeah. My nigga, you ain't been what I've been through. And if so, you would take a pencil to your temple. Cause I done served beans on a menstrual. Ain't even had passed up their panties with tissue. Hit the half cause they mouth ain't bleeding. And your style like frozen. Um, And he also described that album as endless debauchery. Just start to finish, sort of. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, abandon. Um, I mean, there's some tracks in that that I found really, really, really hard to listen to. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the track I Will, uh, pff, lyrically, I, I don't think I could be more alienated by hip hop. Oh, that nigga scared. Let me show you what it's about. Spread the part them lips, put that clit up in my mouth, and I think so juicy. I'm a college jump. Looking at it in circles got me calling me your papa Turn going faster I just can't stand it <laughs> I think it's like It's something that I, I don't really know a lot about Danny Brown Other than a couple of standout moments of his catalogue I know uh, Ain't It Funny mm-hmm. um, Which is quite atypical anyway mm-hmm. um, And almost crosses into like Electro In like a weird way mm-hmm. um, I, I expected something that was a bit freer of hip hop stereotypes than this. Um, I mean, lyrically, XXX. lyrically is different. Danny, Danny Brown generally, in fact, I would say more so from XXX onwards. The the earlier stuff, the kind of the mixtape stuff, sounded both sonically and lyrically, like in terms of themes, thematically. Sorry, um, a bit truer to the original. Hip hop, mm-hmm. a bit more conscious, socially conscious, and things mm-hmm. like that. From XXX onwards, there is just so much fucking misogyny and so much chat about money and drugs 
and bitches and threesomes and he's never met a girl that he can't make come and all this bullshit, like absolute fucking bullshit that it's just almost impossible for me to make like a, an honest appraisal of the music. And this kind of like sent me down that rabbit hole that we've sort of danced around and I guess investigated in other podcasts. But I mean, it's not the use of things like the word bitches. I get that there's a vernacular. I get that it doesn't, that you have to kind of judge it on its own merits. I, I, I refuse to subscribe to the idea that um, black musicians are any less capable of being able to distinguish between shite patter, like shite, unacceptable, sexist, misogynistic patter. And not to mention just the 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 base boasting of like, I just made 30 grand in 30 minutes and I'd spent it before I counted it. Like in any other field in music, black or white, in indie rock and in fucking anything, if those were the lyrics, you you would throw that fucking disc out the window of your 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 car. Or well, I know we don't usually car discs <laughs> in cars, but I'm old. Um, in any other field, and, and, and like I said, it's not about the swearing. I'm not Tipper Gore here. I just mean it's just the the thematic content of the songs is just bullshit. It's just so uh, demeaning, especially to women. And I don't want to get too puritanical about it, but I don't believe in the moral relativism of saying, oh, it's a different culture. That's there's just... also a lot of irony involved in it. Like there's a lot of like fake boasting. I, and... I, with it. No, I think that's disingenuous. I think if this was the case, everybody, despite, like we have openly talked about what a horrible piece of shit Gene Simmons is. And Gene Simmons has never said anything in his lyrics, even remotely as bad as any given song on Triple X. Right and Motley Crue, for all of their innuendo and their smut, never even came close to any of this. I had like what I had lines like I've never met a girl that I couldn't make come. I had a threesome last night, couldn't get it hard, so shoved it in her with my thumb and all that kind of stuff. It's like it's it's kind of like somewhere between the Bloodhound Gang and like the Dirt by Motley Crue, but yet nobody treats the musicians that say it accordingly there's like a kind of cultural relativism where we assume that because they're black musicians there's a different standard for them like black women don't deserve to be respected by musicians singing about them or you know black men can't be held accountable for fucking horrendous messages like that in their in their music and it's something i can't shake i can't get out of it because i don't hold black people white people asian people any different standards of behavior yeah but i I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a black thing. It's a hip hop thing, and I know hip hop is essentially black, but you know, it's it's a cultural thing. It's not a well. Racial no, thing. I think yeah, I, I get your point there, but I would I would say that's a. I mean, if some when white people do hip hop, we talk about cultural appropriation. So I think that has to be taken into account. It's a it's a black genre predominantly, and when we've done it in the past when we've covered white artists doing hip hop, we've spent 20 minutes to half an hour just talking about the fact that it's a white artist capitalizing on a black genre. So it is overwhelmingly a black genre and it Mm -hmm. it bothers me that the climate in that genre is so accommodating and rewarding in fact of that bullshit because these are grown adults and whatever we say, you know, I know loads of people will be rolling their eyes, but it really is cultural relativism. It is a sense that, Oh, they don't know any better. 
And that's what offends me about it. Mm. It's like, they do know better. They know just as well as we do. They do know better. They know that that's not acceptable to say that. They know that the the line in it where he talks about making, was it, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make Sarah Palin deep throat me until she gets her hiccups. Like, yeah, okay. I get that that's kind of funny and a joke, but you know, these days, the notion of like grabbing a woman by the head and ramming your dick down her throat until she's gagging, that doesn't tend to go over well in indie rock. You know, ask Ryan Adams and Mm -hmm. fucking, you know, many others who have just been pulled up for various transgressions Mm -hmm. of, of moral codes how they feel about the fact that they're free licensed in the hip hop community and the rap community for those kind of things. So my problem is musically, I really liked a lot of this and yet I cannot engage because I constantly get drawn out of it by this puerile, morally objectionable bullshit that seems to just get a pass by people for, and I can't understand why. I I don't understand why we're holding uh, this community, whether you think they're predominantly black or not, but I would say they, they really are why this community is holding itself and others are holding it to a lower standard. It must be endlessly frustrating for black musicians who don't approve of it. They're like, why is this, why are you guys still doing this? Mm. Like, like, it must be so frustrating. Um, and a black musician playing indie rock, you know, would never get away with saying this shit. So why is it different? That That's something that just, it was disappointing because I really thought he was going to be thematically different and I was going to be able to engage with how good the music is. Because Ain't It Funny doesn't have any of that stuff in it. And it's a yeah. killer song and I really like it. And I was like, oh, if this is going to be an album of that kind of stuff, this is going to be great. And it's absolutely not. And then looking back up to XXX, at least it's not a career of that either. Before that, I like it. I like the old school stuff and I like his lyrical approach. But no, I, I'm, I mean, out. I'm, just, I'm just out. When it comes to Danny Brown, I'm just like, you know, yeah. close the book. I'm out. I can't, I can't endorse that. It's just as bullshit. I know. I mean, I I totally understand, and I it is something that, you know, much as if you know when you listen to black metal, you have to work around the politics of them. You know, when you listen to certain hip hop, you have to work around the gender politics of that. Um, and for me, I so personally, I got into Danny Brown because, I I think I heard some stuff off XXX, and then. I heard his stuff that he started doing with Rusty. He appeared on a Rusty track and then Rusty produced some stuff on Old. And, I mean, as we've talked about on this uh, podcast before, I'm not much of a lyrics man. I just like a fucking slamming beat. (laughs) So, like, Danny Brown was enlisting really good producers and I loved the sound of his flow and I loved, like, the weird alternative hip-hop that he was doing and the... In old, um, he really sort of introduced and started playing with some of the trap stuff that was happening. So much like I never listened to the fucking lyrics on an Emperor album. I didn't. I don't necessarily. They're listen. a little bit harder to pick out. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's also true. It, it, no, I mean, and, I, and I, to I, me, it is a problematic thing when I listen to a lot of hip hop. And you know, when I fucking DJ a hip hop night, there's some tracks that you're just like, this is. They shouldn't be singing these things. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, they're, but when the bass goes through, you don't really care. Don't, what no, saying. don't. <laughs> like, see, that's the thing. Like musically, I get it, and like I said, if "Ain't It Funny" was the standard for Danny Brown, I'd be, I'd be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a cultural reckoning going on just now, though. And what you have when it comes to hip hop is, as best I can see it, if the arbiters of this moral outrage are, you know, the mainstream, and the mainstream is predominantly white controlled. What you have when it comes to, say, the Me Too movement and 
women's rights and the right to not be spoken about in this mm-hmm. way routinely and objectified routinely multiple times in the same song, in the same verse, let alone in the same album, uh, that seems to clash with the ethnic sensibilities of minorities. And it's like white people don't want to be seen to criticise a predominantly uh, black genre because they're accused of being like culturally tone deaf. And there's a lot of like hierarchy comes into play. Yeah. And and the black community, understandably, because it's so marginalised in so many ways, is quite defensive. You've seen that same problem with people like R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, with members of the black community speaking out against their own community mm-hmm. for defending people they shouldn't have been defending purely because they saw it as an us v them and they sided with people like R. Kelly because he was a prominent black man and they want to protect their prominent black men almost at all costs sometimes or at least until it becomes so bad that they simply can't do it anymore. And I think there is like a clash of, you know, uh, there's a clash of like political correctness here where it's like, oh yeah, we want to stand up for women's rights and we'll, we will absolutely persecute Rivers Como for some benign lyric in some album that he released 20 years ago, but we will not persecute Danny Brown mm-hmm. for a thousand quite contentious lyrics in one 40 minute album. And that there's no way to, to, there's no way to square that circle. There's no way to seriously deny that the white kind of mainstream is struggling to apply its standards evenly because it's worried about being accused of being racist simply because it clamps down on a genre where that sort of stuff is totally out of control. And it is. I don't I don't agree with like heavy, heavy censorship, but I agree with consistency. Mm-hmm. And if we expect certain standards from musicians, and I do, I'm not saying they should go to jail. I'm just saying I don't want to buy it. I don't want to hear it. But I certainly don't want people that will like lecture me on political correctness to then go down to a club and start dancing about to move bitch get out the way and all this kind of stuff and it's like that kind of fucking hypocrisy really sits badly with me and as i said the main overriding sense of this has just been disappointment because i really thought this was going to be something that went past that there's plenty that do go past it but we're not covering it this week i think i i disagree i i mean i agree with you on many points here but i think on in terms of danny brown i genuinely do think that there's a sense of irony a sense of self-awareness that he has tell that to women women fucking love danny brown i, I think like if, if you said that about rivers como and you know across the sea where he was slated for you know objectifying uh you know or or like uh what you call it sorry and um pinkerton for you know objectifying japanese girls or for you know Pervin on groupies that liked him by getting into long distance relationships with the fan letters. I mean, he he took shit for that. Yeah. And if you compare that to like proportionally to this. I mean, once again, we suffer from not having a female voice on this podcast, but some of my best pals really fucking love Danny Brown and they are women. Yeah. And, and they, and they no doubt are women that are, for example, very in favour of a lot of the things that were done by the Me Too movement. Yeah. So then confront them with the inconsistency of that and say, well, how do you square that? Because they don't. No, it's, because it's, they're, they are aware of his... Oh, I don't fr- know. Frankly, I genuinely suspect that for a lot of them, there is no consistency in that. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's always the case, but the level and the frequency of these references in this music, it's, it is stretching... 
credulity beyond any fucking sustainable point to say that it is all ironic. It's not all ironic. And even if it was ironic, it's still in bad taste. I, I just don't see any way out of this. I think in any other genre, you, you, my whole point is I believe in equality and I think there's a cultural relativism and a moral relativism at, at play here. And that's very rarely a good thing because it actually denotes a form of racism. It denotes a racism of low expectation where you're like, oh, they just don't know any better. And you see it applied to all kinds of walks of life. You see it applied to Islam and some of its practices. You see it applied in this case, I would say, as well. And people are walking on eggshells around it because they don't want to be the one that gets accused of being racist. So I think that's, that's a really problematic theme. I don't want to derail the entire podcast, though, so just sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, do you have any regrets? Um, that's one of the reasons why I... I'm very particular about the hip hop that I like. In the case of Danny Brown, Trossy Exhibition particularly is is about like his basically mental degradation and downfall. So I think a lot of lyrics are on that record kind of stand up in terms of, you know, dealing with fame and drugs and and excess in a lot of ways. I'm not gonna say a black community, but the hip hop community is this is something that, that they should be reckoning with, something that they need to reckon with at some point because fundamentally as someone that also believes in equality, it, it does make it quite difficult for me to listen to this music as well, a lot of the time, you know. And as someone that really likes lyrics, it does make it quite hard to swallow sometimes, you know. And uh, Not as hard as it is for Sarah Palin. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I said it and instantly regretted it. No, but I mean, like, like, like this makes Kiss sound like fucking choir boys. It really does. I, it, oh, I mean, the whole album is a sort of reflection on his faults, though. I... And like, I think you look back at his records. I like, I was like, the hybrid is basically his weed album because it's like your classic hip hop album. Mama, I'm honored to be your song. It's nice to snag a stab, so and not rip a single one. Used to be in a rush to finish off my sack. I was so thirsty, dog, so no pregnant bitch crack. Let her pay me extra, smoke it in her back. XXX was his cocaine album because it's fucking mad and all over the place. Old was his ecstasy MDMA because it's like his big party one and it's like just out there. Don't let me into my zone. Don't let me into my zone. Don't let me into my zone. You haters leave me alone. I say don't let me into my zone. Don't let me into my zone. Don't let me into my zone. You haters leave me alone. And then this is his like come down album. This is like I'm still fucking taking drugs but it's six in the morning and I'm just taking everything and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and mm-hmm. I've survived. I think there's so much regret like, in this record. There's yeah. a lot there's a lot of regret and there's a lot of introspection. And I think when you read interviews with him, he's very aware he's not like he's not a guy that's gonna be going out and like advocating fucking sexual violence against people. No, no, quite quite the opposite. So but so he knows better. Yeah, so a lot of what he says is meta. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just. It sounds like you're bending over backwards for it. No, no, no. But I, but I, I have also said that a lot of things are problematic, and that's like I'm glad that we're talking about deeply. This. So, like, yeah. I mean, I think like one of the what a beautifully ironic spin in this as well is that in 2015 he came out and he's writing a sort of Doctor Seuss inspired children's book yeah. uh, for his daughter ostensibly. Um, to discuss and promote self-esteem in black girls. 
which is fucking laughable I, I when mean, you listen to the words of his songs. I think in the case of this particular artist, I think that you're minimising the capacity for self-reflection. I mean, obviously he's a huge fan of Joy Division and the album is named after Joy Division song, but it also fucking completely describes what the record's about. It's about the atrocity exhibition. Do you know what I mean, it's an, it's an exhibition of his atrocities. That's what the whole record is. Yeah, that's, man, that's the concept that not, goes through. There's clearly, this is clearly a guy that has learned throughout the course of his career. He is very self-reflective. You know, he has quite... I guess you could say nihilistic and existential on his record as well to a, a huge degree, but he's clearly got the capacity for self-reflection. And a lot of hip-hop does not have that. A lot of old school and a lot of, like, a lot of fucking trap doesn't have that capacity for thinking on a deeper level about the tropes and, and the things that, you know, make the genre what it is. Um, I'd be interested to see what his next record, his next record is going to sound like, because it might, it might be a departure again. We don't know. This is a guy that's clearly spent a lot of time thinking and constructing the kind of music that he wants to make he's not banging out fucking tune after tune every year like a lot of big artists do who are very much guilty of writing music and lyrics which are exactly as we've all said are quite problematic um and i think this record and the the tone of it and it's particularly a lot of the the, the samples and the music behind it is really fucking downbeat and i don't think that's I think that's deliberate, you know, I think this is a, I think this is a, a deeply self-reflective record and I think that's why <laughs> it stands out. But the song I Will from Triple X, I mean, if you've read the lyrics, there is nothing satirical or ironic about those lyrics. Yeah, but that, that's two albums before, that's, we haven't chosen that album. We're talking about an artist in general though. Yeah, I know, but what we're talking about is an exceptionally self-reflective record. I've said that, like, this is like his sort of come down album and he's looking and there's a lot of regret. And I, you know, he's been involved in the mainstream hip hop scene where like if he doesn't rap about girls and women, then he's not going to get a fucking record deal. Oh, well, that makes so, it all right then. No, but like, so he's done that album eight years ago and then he's dealt with- When we didn't know that sexism was wrong. No, but he's dealing with that and he's admitting, you know, issues here. Like, I'm, I'm not asking you to be uh, like, you're not an avatar for hip hop in general and I don't want it to come across like that and I understand yeah. that you guys make a disconnect when you're listening to this kind of music. And I think as we've seen in so many of the different subjects that we've gone into, I think there is an undeniable, I know we're doing a lot of contortions here, we're making a lot of excuses for a guy about implied irony and all these different, te you know, like textual levels that we've, we've got to, you know, uh, take into account. Fundamentally, this guy writes a lot of like smutty, misogynistic stuff and also is prone to boasting about money and drugs and how much he's worth. And it's like, you know, fuck off. Anybody else does that, fuck off. I just think that aspect of it is just profoundly inconsistent. And I would, if that is a standard, then there's almost no artist other than out-and-out -out racists that... Well we can really critique for their lyrics because Motley Crue are nowhere near as bad as this guy. I mean, I think, I think we all basically fundamentally agree here, but I think if you think about this record and a kind of, if you think about some of the later songs on the record as well, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of songs at the end, like From the Ground and When It Rain, right? From the Ground basically talks about all the shit from his life and all the shit he's had to go through to get where he is. And there's definitely a lyric on either that song or the, or When It Rain, where it actually talks about how fuck being in the radio and fuck being famous, because it doesn't matter. Totally, but then track four, he's got poker with my tentacle and sucking on it like she's getting vitamins and minerals. How is that not funny? 
the argument is that this is a reformed record, and I just read you like no, but also what you are not seeming to notice is that there is a sense of humor in this record. He does not mean like that. Those <laughs> lyrics, you were like fucking um, Barbara Whitehouse reading those lyrics, uh, reading them straight up with a you know Mary with Whitehouse. no Mary Whitehouse, yeah, whatever yeah, I mean, her name. I mean, um, like he's saying that as a joke. He's supposed to be like. It is childish. It is, you know, it's a fucking joke. So, so his album's a joke. No, certain parts of this record are tinged with comedy. Certain parts of this record are tinged with fucking tragedy and introspection. Certain parts are tinged with yes, like boastfulness and things like that. It's a complicated record. Just because he has some fucking jokes on this record doesn't make it a joke record i can't decontextualize this within hip-hop it's totally appropriate if you will in the current climate and in fact it's probably slightly ahead of the curve in that respect but it's still way behind the cultural curve in Mm -hmm. terms of what we've all sort of agreed in the last 10 years is actually acceptable in terms of rhetoric Mm -hmm. and that's that's frustrating and it's disappointing because musically it it kicks ass i think it's i think the the bigger point you know, that you're making is fundamentally does ring true, right? And it, I do often find myself wondering why that, you know, the element of self-reflection that certain genres of music have had upon the individuals and, you know, the music and the themes within them has, has come to pass and in some genres it's not. And you're right, you know, those bands like Motley Crue and those bands like Kiss who who come with reputations which fully, like fully embraced that at the time and, and to some extent still do, you know, and... We have hip hop artists who do the same thing, and they're still lauded for it today. And as a total, as you're totally right, it is a really difficult circle to square or square to circle. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 not something that I don't know. It's just it's troubling. I find it troubling. I don't think we can, and I think that that I think that ingredient that's causing that the catalyst for that is the uncertainty amongst the sort of white monopolized mainstream media where we don't want to become a, come across as being misogynistic but we also don't want to come across as persecuting an overwhelmingly black style of yeah. music and i think that is the the clash and mm. i don't think that can really be resolved currently i think it has to be policed internally you'll probably find that, that it, it's going to take the musicians in that scene that don't rap like this speaking out and saying why are we still doing this we're not idiots and there is no doubt a black mainstream media as well and Obviously, we, I don't know if they have these conversations. If this is a, if this this could be a topic within the hip hop community, which we just don't have sight of. Totally unsure about that. Might might not be, but there's there's no reason why it shouldn't be a conversation that people who like that kind of music should have, or that, that scene should have. If that makes sense, it's something that'd be nice to explore if we ever get a chance to interview uh, folks from the black music scene or a black an aspect of the black music scene. Some of the bands over here, people like Young Fathers, for example, might be interesting to speak to in that because lyrically, man, those guys are superb. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be curious to know what kind of insight they have. And we think about something like POS as well, who's completely opposite brilliant, this. Brilliant, brilliant, you know, exactly. Completely I know. opposite from this. And he definitely comes at it from a much more, I guess you could say, quote unquote, white approach because he's, yeah. he was like, he's a punk. He's always been a punk first and foremost, you know. But and even in the fact that we're having to impose white, yeah, as a moral exactly. standard, yeah. there mm-hmm. is offensive, unwittingly offensive. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? I mean, and Prince was certainly like he he dabbled in some rap stuff in the early nineties, and some of the lyrics that he's that he wrote at some stages weren't anywhere near as bad as this. And he was still very about empowerment. You know what I mean? And obviously discarded it completely towards the end of his 
to it towards the end of his life. Um, any kind of talk of sex or love or anything like that really. But um, did I did I ever tell you guys my prince story? You've got a prince story. I, I mean, I'm not involved, but I know somebody who's involved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be a bonus content feature, but I'll tell you after recording. Okay. Uh, and you guys can let me know if I can tell it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe we'll do a split seven inch, which is like one ridiculous story each. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it. it I mean, it makes Prince. It makes Prince seem even more Prince than you ever thought Prince could be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, do you guys have a nexus for this? But I um, do have a nexus, yeah. Have it doesn't very, involve Prince. I have a very short one. I have a question I want to ask you after this as well, Chris. So we'll do the nexus first. Let's do it, right? Okay. Let's get Fritz on the go. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Grohl Nexus. Need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. For playing in the fall. Who's going to go first? Um, I'll go first because mine's really short. Um, <laughs> you, we <laughs> no made way. this mistake last time, didn't we? Let Mark go last. Yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> it's kind of like... Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. <laughs> don't want to be that guy again, but I'm going to be that guy again. Uh, okay, so this is dead short. Uh, be Real is on, is it When It Rain? Yeah, it's on When It, it's on when it, when it Rain, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Music Gets Machine covered how I could just kill a man. Uh-huh. And performed right. it live with both Be Real and... The guy that's in Professor Rage, the other guy, the other singer from Cyber Silly's name, I can't remember. And Dave Grohl performed uh, like a stone with Audio Slave and Metallica at the Chris, Co- Chris Cornell Memorial concert. Goodness gracious. He used that exact same. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't is, give a is shit. Either that or go down. I've already done it, Danny Brown, on oh, my OP episode. Standards so. are And right once down. again, he fucking flies in and steals a link from me as well. <laughs> Even though he only had one fucking link, one yeah. of them's linked from me. All right, Dave. Uh, so, Danny Brown. Uh, a bunch of the production on Atrocity Exhibition was done by Evian Christ, uh, who's an English electronic producer. He's actually got some really good stuff of his own. In 2015, Evian Christ was uh, trapped in a metal cage <laughs> <laughs> by Leeds Festival security um, because the, he was going into the VIP section and they didn't believe that he was a VIP. He was kettled. He, he was kettled. Uh, and uh, he tweeted from inside this three-part fence, said, sorry guys, uh, Reading Festival has been cancelled. Leeds have literally put me in a cage. And then a little video of him just sitting in a cage with security people around wow, him. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so that was at uh, Reading and Leeds 2015. Also playing at Reading no. and Leeds 2015. <laughs> also in the country that week. Uh, <laughs> 
The second uh, stage was headlined by none other than Limp Bizkit, but main stage, the Libertines, Metallica and Mumford & Sons. Uh, he did actually mention Mumford & Sons as well. He said, really though, I actually got put in a cage at a festival headlined by Mumford & Sons because the festival staff didn't believe I was a DJ and thought I was trying to break into the festival after my set. I wonder what his pass was. <laughs> I know. I must have Jesus. lost it. <laughs> so um, Mumford & Sons are a huge band. Yeah. And it turns out that they are really huge um, because in 2011 they performed with the Avett Brothers and Bob Dylan at the 2011 Grammys. So, I mean, gee whiz. Was that before or after their thrilling transition <laughs> from denim to leather? So that, that, that was an edgy performance there. Uh, Bob Dylan, um, I mean, many... Heard, heard of him. He's a guy. But of course, on that album, Renegades... Rage Against Machine covered <laughs> uh, Magus Farm uh, by Bob Dylan because they did a whole bunch of song of sort of yes, all covers left wing yeah. revolutionary sort of kick out the jams by the MC5. By the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think that's actually the best Rage Against Machine album. It's fucking great. There's some really good riffs. I mm. love like Renegades of Funk is the best Re- thing. There's they a ever lot did. of great songs on it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like. Pistol Grip Pump. Goes to Tom Jones so good as well. Yeah. Also on that record, they covered "Beautiful World" by Devo, which is a funny wee one. And if you what, <laughs> is this uh, another visual another aid? video to uh-huh. end it? What I've actually got here is Nirvana covering uh, Devo's "1980 Turnaround Obscurity Turnaround." That's on Incesticide. Yes, it track is indeed. Five. Uh, it was the B side of Whip It. Mm-hmm. So uh, that and then Dave Grohl was in Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay, so Danny Brown, when he brought out the old album, it was the first album that got him kind of on TV shows. And he did things like uh, Jimmy Kimmel. But he also did the Kathy Griffin show and he appeared in Kathy Griffin. Uh, Kathy Griffin, by the way, who's a comedian who was kicked off. Is she the one that decapitated? A decapitated Donald, head yeah. of Donald Trump uh, as part of one of her sketches, yeah. Who's Kathy? Who's Kathy? I know the name, but I can't picture a the red-headed she's j- she's just, comedian. But she's also just got a really familiar name, like Danny Brown. Because <laughs> I always thought I knew who Kathy Griffin was, but then I don't know who the fuck she is. She held is. up a, a prop of Trump's head and was booted off TV as a result um, oh. after a Republican outcry. Mm. Uh, they were triggered by it. Um so on that show uh, was ASAP Rocky, who I think Danny Brown's done stuff with, right? Yeah, he's on... He's on old, is he not? He's yeah. definitely he's could that, be. Yeah. Maybe that's. Uh, but also Russell Brand, our very own. Uh, Russell Brand uh, auditioned for the band Five. Is that a true <laughs> fact? That is a true fact. Holy shit! That I is good. Thought, yeah, yeah it's good. Daniel Brandy Five. That's incredible. Thing is, that's not actually my link. I just wanted to throw that in because <laughs> Russell Brand also auditioned for the role of Superhands in Peep Show. Ah, I mean, yeah, that is that good, right? Good. That, yeah. uh, which I'm trying to be topical here, which brings us on to Olivia Coleman, uh, who plays Sophie. Oscar mm-hmm. winner, Olivia yeah. Coleman. Olivia Coleman, who just won an Oscar for Best Actress in The, the Favourite, favorite mm-hmm. uh, who was also in a film called The Lobster, which is so even good. better by the so same good. director. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also was part of this really, really good, but kind of underrecognized comedy series called Look Around You which copies school programming from when I was a kid, uh, the really tacky, 
chemistry sort of programs that they used to make us sit and watch on old TVs with Imhotep. That, uh, Peter, that was <laughs> yeah, by Peter, exactly. Peter Serafinovich. Yeah. Peter, Ser- yeah. Peter Serafinovich, yeah. Thanks, um, Ants. So, Dance. <laughs> <Blant>. <laughs> um But yeah, and also uh, on that show was Mr. Harry Enfield playing the ghost of Tchaikovsky. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Tchaikovsky. Did, uh, was there not, because that was on the music program. Yeah, uh, that one was, was that not? was in Ghosts. Oh. That was in Ghosts. Because there was a music one where a guy Little invented hip hop. Yes, uh, and it was it was really really good. There yeah. was also a tune called Little Mouse, which is really we might good. we might post the invention of hip hop uh, with Danny Brown. I'm rapping all day and I'm rapping all night. I'm rapping to the beat and I rap it up tight. I rap in the morning and I rap till I'm done. And everybody knows that I'm number one. Cause I'm rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rap, rap, rapping. I'm rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rapping to you, rapping. I'm rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rap, rap, rapping. I'm rap, 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 rapping. I'm rapping all day and I'm rapping all night. Come on, I'm rapping to the beat and I rap. Well done, that was fantastic, and thank you for introducing us all to the world of rap music. Harry Enfield played the ghost of Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky wrote The Nutcracker, but also wrote Swan Lake. Swan Lake is, basically forms the this context... fucking nexus, of, <laughs> Basically forms the context of the film Black Swan by mm-hmm. Darren Aronofsky uh, from 2010. Natalie Portman plays the black swan. Ooh, ooh. Or, she Aronofsky, plays the white swan, Darren doesn't Aronofsky, she? As opposed, yeah, anyway. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so Darren Aronofsky, also the music in that film was by Mr. Clint Mansell. Uh, Darren Aronofsky and Clint Mansell uh, worked together on The Fountain, also directed by yep. Aronofsky and music by Mansell, in conjunction with a band called Mogwai. So that soundtrack is a combination of Clint Mansell and Mogwai, and it's really, really good soundtrack. It's actually a really good film. It's kind of a bit overlooked, but I really like it. It's, it's very white, fantastic. It's there. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's really quite beautiful. Bit OTT, but mm. quite beautiful. Anyway, Mogwai uh, released an EP, which uh, is called EP, uh, which had a really excellent Mogwai tune in it called Stanley Kubrick. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, as you probably know, was the director of a number of excellent films. The best of all was Eyes Wide Shut, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also found time to do uh, The Shining. The Shining starred uh, Shelley Duvall as uh, a long-haired screaming woman who actually looks a bit like the Momo meme. She actually does. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, but crucially, Dave Grohl is apparently making a film of his life and when he was asked in an interview who it is he's chosen to play himself, he said Shelley Duvall. <laughs> is he actually making right. a movie of his life? Because that's, that's peak Dave Grohl. Apparently so. Uh, you do know that... Danny Brown mentioned Stanley Kubrick in a lyric on this album. I do. I'm like, <laughs> so you could have I'm, saved I'm us like, like 40 minutes Kubrick there, with two bricks. I know yeah. that. See, I did, I, did, I did listen, but that was too easy. Yeah, no, then you too easy. I enjoyed that. Then you wouldn't know Russell the Russell Brand. Brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's a number of fantastic links in there. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we also mentioned The Lobster, Black Swan and The Fountain, which yeah, are all good great films. movies. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, let's bring in Fritz. Thanks for the nexus. ready? Are you ready? Did Clement say I will not do the, the soundtrack for Mother as well? For Mother? Yeah. Oh, uh, Mother? Very, very I haven't possible. seen Mother yet, actually. I had, 
Oh, I went out for watch. beers with Clint Mansell once, and it was not the person I expected to be. <laughs> <laughs> he was just. I'd be listening to the music. I expected some like mad, eccentric, fucking long-haired, like sort of Christopher Lloyd type. Man, he's just a, a dude that just likes a, a Guinness. Just a dad. Yeah. Yeah. And wore a leather jacket with patches on it. Yeah. So, all right. So, so, shall we talk about this record? We've kind of already done that. Um, um, Mark, you wait to ask me something. Yeah. So, you, you mentioned that you obviously you've mentioned that you had trouble with the, re- the, the lyrics of the record. You also mentioned you thought the record was musically quite good. At what point were you, dr- at what point were you pulled out of it? Um, well, I listened to his back catalogue in general and starting with this one. And I think I initially was like, okay, I'll kind of turn a blind eye to that. Um, and then when I went back to XXX, I was just like, what the fuck? And then not so much with old, but then it was kind of compounded when I went back to the earlier stuff and I, I see, I saw that it wasn't there and I was like, what the fuck? Why, mm. why, where was the need? You did, you already proved that you were great without it. Yeah. Why did you have to go down this like cliched fucking braggadocio But that's what I thing. think this record does. And I know that it's not perfect in any way and it definitely has some gender, you know, problematic gender issues but what i think it does do is it it does look back it's an album that reflects on his nearly you know working with the mainstream but he never went down that sort of gangster rap thing but he did have fucking excess and he has issues with addiction and he has all these issues and this record talks about them he also he has an edge like there's i mean the fact that he was too rock for uh, what do you call them? Uh, G unit, yeah, G unit. That there is an element to Danny Brown that a lot of other rappers and hip hop artists don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of you know you were you told us last week actually about how he's a big corn fan, and I've seen photos of them with corn t shirts on. Mm-hmm. He, he played at the gathering of the yeah, Juggalos. That was yeah. my that was my Lincoln LP <laughs> episode. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's crazy. Um, gathering of Juggalos, and you can sort of see that one of the things about that is the gathering of the Juggalos is whether we said about new metal in general as well, actually, whether we like it or not, one of the most authentically working class musical movements mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. it's white trash all the way, you know, all the way down. I'm but proud of it, yeah. It's incredibly working class as a result. And him being affiliated with that kind of reflects that sort of, mm-hmm. in, a, in a strange way, reflects that sort of in touch nature. Um, And so I can see how he's got an edge, but then... You know that in touch nature is not exactly reflected when he's singing any songs, but he's not making, fully, a, making a million and he's not fully woke yet. See, I'll give you that. <laughs> I think but, he's going back to sleep. But he was pretty, <laughs> he was pretty woke in his mixtapes, man. I think the see when I was listening to this record and there's two songs on it where he where he drops down to like his regular voice. I wonder if the high pitched voice is like a is actually a persona. Yeah, like a character, like a character that he's playing because his older stuff was was the lower voice. Two songs on this, particularly the last one from the ground, which is about like how basically don't do what I did, but also I'm going to build it from the ground up, like going to jail, like his whole life, doing like, you know, selling drugs and all that. Well, when I, I wonder if that's a part, I don't know if it is. That, but tell me what I don't know. The one where he sings in the lower register second track is a really good song. Tell me what I don't know. Last night, homie got killed at the liquor store. Shot my nigga on the way to get a swisher. Breaking down the weed when the call got received. We were so ambitious. All we really wanted was New Jordan and some bitches. Flashing bank rolls in the club, taking pictures. Kind of one that avoids... I mean, no, I mean, it, it doesn't avoid it, actually. It does have a, a, a fair few bits, but 
I don't know, maybe. Um, I, I actually like him singing on a low register. I yeah, think I the think high it, the high one works at some points. So like, ain't it funny the one I keep mentioning, uh, track six, which is just a total banger of a song. Absolutely fucking Really decent, straight. I first heard that actually, David, when you, I think you DJed it uh, at, at one of your yeah. clubs. Or you did, yeah. like maybe even both of you, because it seems like the kind of thing you're obviously both going to slam on. But it, it stood out then and it came back to me when we were listening. It's such a great song. Mm. It really is really good. It's like three minutes almost dead on. It's, it's kind of got a minor thing going on as mm. well, which is, is really, and I mean minor and key, not minor yeah. as in <laughs> R. Kelly. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's just a really, really well written, concise catchy bit of music and I'm like fuck man this guy can do it when he wants to do it it, it does really kill but that it, that's song. also a track that's really reflective as well you know he's like I'm fucking deep in this yeah and, substance it's, re- and it's refreshing and as a result it's like there's yeah. something in it to, to be you're like fuck it, this this is working on all the levels and uh, I think his voice also really suits that song I think mm. the, the, the harsh voice is sometimes just too much man it's just sometimes really really tough to take uh, but on certain tracks, it sits well, mm-hmm. uh, given the style of music. Likewise, when he drops down, sometimes that sits really, really well. And yeah. I think it'd be nice if he did that maybe a few more times. I don't know. I think overall, the production on this record, though, is really, really fucking interesting. Yeah, I think it was. He said the warp gave him the chance to experiment, right? Well, the, yeah, that's the fact. You know, the fact that this album even came out on warp is, you know, really interesting. They don't do a lot of hip hop. Um, they don't do that many US artists, to be honest. Yeah, and like, it's a real sort of sign of credibility, I suppose. Like musically, anyway. Yeah, he was he was saying about his decision to to to, to go with the deal. He was like, apart from the fact they were really enthusiastic, which is a good sign, he immediately felt less constrained, like by expectation. Mm-hmm. He was like, wow, so I can really experiment with. I mean, different Warp are never going to be expecting singles, are they? No, nah, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, they've got some. I mean, Ain't It Funny wasn't even well, a single. What yeah. the, what's that? That's like the most obvious single that on the record. crazy. I mean, yeah, what's interesting is Pneumonia was uh, a track, and Pneumonia, uh, I think it's track nine. Maybe you heard it in 30 minutes. Before I count it, I done damn misspent it. Put a brick on you and some brick on it. He said was like a standalone track that didn't fit into the theme of the album, but it was like his party track. It's basically a trap song, but it's it's like a trap song. It's got but it's got that cut hands. Did it? The artist cut hands. He used to be called White House, Mm -hmm. and White House was this like extreme electronic noise, like yeah. But I mean, that is it is a kind of party track, but it's also abrasive as fuck. And you know when that like out of time sort of clanging comes that's on that's a cut hands t- technique yeah so totally some, cut hands is really interesting the electronic artist who uses a lot of, uh, like he, he's he's british white mm-hmm. caucasian british but he's very very into uh yeah. african rhythms and he he involves a lot of that and he's arrangements it's just, he's got some really good stuff as well and it works well in that song i thought when it rains actually a weirder choice for a single i think it's a single yeah <laughs> It's really got this dark and vibey thing yeah. going on, and it's buried like way back in the album as well. Mm-hmm. Although that song has 
samples of Delia Derbyshire. Mm. Yeah. The Doctor Who soundtrack. Um, the 60s uh, ex sort of woman that worked for the BBC and was like one of the pioneers of electronic music in the world mm. and is pr- probably un- dramatically underrepresented in terms of the things that she was doing in electronic music at that time as a total pioneer. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that he's kind of made a nod to her. That's that's kudos for that, at least, I guess. And this record's really hangs together because it's the first one that he's done, which is done overseen by him and another producer just completely, apart with a couple of exceptions. Like, yeah, there's know, only a couple of tracks like with a big roster, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, I, I mean, Old was a great album, but yeah. it did feel bitty. You know, there was like Big Trap Song and then, you know, you had all your guests and you had, mm-hmm. you know, that song with the Purity Ring is like really good track, but that it's it was kind of felt like a bloated album. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this record has a, yeah there's a there's a couple other strong influences come up by the way and they're both kind of 90s-ish i thought that seventh track gold dust had again had a really strong cypress hill feel to it definitely yeah that really good time and i know house of pain obviously ripped off cypress hill but it, it it has that real sort of like effortless house party hip hop vibe mm-hmm. of of like the the nineties and <laughs> not quite as as cool. Uh, track eleven is it from the ground? Yeah, the yeah. lower register one. Mm-hmm. The female vocal in that really uh, really pissed on my chips. It really <laughs> did, like, I didn't it, like it. No, I mean it's so so nineties and that kind of like stereotypical. Yeah. Background. I, I'm 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 fishing for names here, but none are, <laughs> none none are really coming to me. That really cheesy, like oh, I don't know. I really ugh, like it. it. It just was. Um, no, I just it's and it's Kalela that does that uh, line in that track. That does the chorus line. I've talked about maybe doing Kalela's yeah. first mixtape mm-hmm. and bringing it in because, like, she's doing really, really interesting stuff. And yeah, I, sp- I mean, I suppose that that melody is quite sugar sweet, but um, I think that's kind of maybe the point. I, I, I just, I just, the, the, there was something about the, the the shape and the the application of that vocal part that just really reminded me, of like, like Tony Braxton type yeah. mm-hmm. crap nineties sort of. Sort of soulful R and B yeah, stuff. soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that third track, Rolling Stone, had some really interesting percussion in it. It's that, got the, a good hook, man. It's got a really yeah, the proper really funk and soul. And hook. the bass in it is, was good. this album that really appealed to me like I made a lot of notes about yeah. bits of instrumentation that I thought were really well used and that's what I mean it was like fuck I want to be able to talk about these but I just think they're overshadowed at least for me not for you guys which is good genuinely is good but it, it, I mean today is it is it track 13 that's the one with the big synthy intro <laughs> start again like really cool it was like another element and it's almost like a, a an electro song that one it's got well it's not an electro song but it's got it's got a, a kind of electro theme 
in it and it's got like a really recognizable refrain that yeah. appears in it as well it's got like almost like a chorus vibe mm-hmm. which a lot of the other stuff doesn't and yeah, I mean, I, I like that about it as well. There's hell for it. Which had that much more old school feel to it. And it was yeah. a, lot, a much of a, a callback to like Brown Town and stuff, the, the earlier work that he was doing. That kind of connected me more. That song, like, it's got lyrics in it about like, um, Basically, like he's a warning. Like, don't go out and copy me. Yeah, I, that's basically what he's saying. Like, I'm going, I'm going to go hell for it, but don't go out and copy me. Like, says, so says a guy that's using a lot of really early nineties hip hop influences. Like, all right, yeah, like, no, don't go, don't, don't go out and copy me. Don't copy me as yeah. like I've, I've, oh, I'm, not, like, I'm not a healthy man. A cautionary yeah. tale. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, I thought exactly. you mean like a copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this song is just a sung. C in a circle. Um, wow. But yeah, no, but it's also sort of like he's not going to go down without a fight. Yeah. But also just like, you know, he's done a lot of shit and, but he's going to keep on fighting because that's the only thing he can do. And that's why I think this is quite a self-reflective record. Um, apart from Get High, which is just, that's all right. Proper. See, man, I, I don't have a problem with that at all, man. Like, go for it, man. Fuck. Like, loads of old hip hop. Yeah, loads of classic hip hop. Yeah. Fucking getting high. Like, every morning I wake up, first thing I roll up before I get my day started. First, I gotta wake up and get high. Do it. I think we missed, we didn't start do this in order. So, like, I just want to talk about Downward Spiral, you know. Mm. First track, Nine Inch Nails reference. Everybody say you gotta love the bee product. Been high this whole time, don't realize what I done. Cause when I'm all alone, feel like no one care. Isolate myself and don't go now. And it is this sort of three minute mad deconstructed jazz piece with him sort of talking over it. Um, you know it's weird because uh, we've done a lot of stuff, or you guys have brought to the table stuff like uh, D'Angelo and uh-huh. stuff like POS where they've taken these older and jazzier influences and samples and worked them really, worked them into hip-hop music really in, in, in a good and interesting fashion. Yeah. This is another example of that. Yeah, I yeah, thought. absolutely. And, I mean, what he, I think, this track sets out is that this album is about to explain a man in a downward spiral, like, what he has been doing and how he's survived it. And it sets the it sets the whole tone of the record. And, it you know, it's like... A deconstruction of the man and you know what he's done so far and then yeah and then by the end of it you get to uh all right i fucked up yeah i'm not a perfect man but you know i'm gonna keep doing some interesting shit basically yeah that first song's got a crowd rock sample on it a uh, guru guru yeah 60 yeah uh who are um yeah german crowd rock band yeah not one it's, of the big ones but yeah, uh really jazzy and yeah, weird it's a whole unsettling vibe that song and it gives the record that Unsettling feeling. Uh, we, we also should talk about Really Do as well because that's a fucking total banger. They say I got the city on fire. I ain't moving, that's a goddamn lie. Really do, like really do. Hey, really do, like really do. Yeah, that hook, some can, can, Kendrick's, I was going to say Kanye's, Kendrick's hook in that song is perfect. Yeah, man. it's so, so good. That's, that was a single, right? That, that, um, yeah. But that's lyrically one of the ones that I'm just, I'm out. Yeah, that's that's definitely like 
it, it's weird. But that's like it. one of those ones where they've got Absol and Earl Swe- Sweatshirt, and that's like they're going back to this, yeah, like hip hop stereotype where it's three rappers all get a, a you know, a verse, a verse each, yeah. and the go hell for leather and to be yeah, as puerile and yeah, yeah, disrespectful as they can. But when you see when see when Kendrick has got the most subdued verse on a song, you yeah, know, no, exactly. a problem with the lyrics on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, um, I've got, I don't mind Kendrick, but you know, just not really for me. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, so, I mean you guys are going to put this one in, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think thought, it's a really interesting record, and I'm really glad that we got to talk about that because I think it's worth talking about. I think, I think yeah, I think that set record should go in purely on the basis that we had that discussion. Um, because we need to reckon with it at some point. And we've I mean, not- fucking hell, we tried to put in fucking thorns. Like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't argue for its exclusion after that. But on, on that basis, um, it just, I, I, I think it lets itself down. So it's a no for me. Um, I, I would actually, I will probably go back and listen to some of these earlier stuff. I like the early mixtapes that were a lot more old school. Um, but that's just, you know, I think I'm interested to see what he does next because this is on he's on warp now, and this is obviously an an experiment mm-hmm. for him as well. Um, I think this record is definitely the best one he's done, like without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It's, got, it's got more cohesion. But I mean, I suppose we should uh, just to say why we think it's unsung is because mm. he's not nearly as big as a lot of the uh, huge hip hop. Well, this stars was a commercial right flop. Yeah, Terrible exactly. commercial flop. Yeah. He spent 70,000 on samples for this album mm-hmm. and then didn't recoup it. And he was asked in interviews, what advice would you give other musicians? He was like, don't spend 70,000 on samples. <laughs> um, so, I mean, commercially, this was a yeah, disaster. exactly. When you look at, you know, like Post Malone doing the Hydro, you know, selling out in five minutes, and, you know, Kendrick Lamar's massive and all of these, you know, hip hop is the main uh, genre that sells right now. Danny Brown is a very small fish down there, even if, you know, he is earning enough to spend a lot of money on drugs he's far too out there for for most mainstream tastes like he's really mm-hmm. inaccessible for a lot of people yeah um i didn't find that listening to him personally but i, I guess i've been listening to a lot of underground hip-hop for a long time so uh, um and obviously chris you didn't have a, you didn't have a huge issue you know with it like getting into it musically um, no i mean i think the tracks like in it funny in your in your arsenal you should be much much bigger i think he's, he should have done he should be doing stuff like that more often and i think because he's not that huge he doesn't have to abide by those tropes he could kick out on his own he could do something distinct and reject a lot of those kind of aspects that supposedly he's conscious of because of what he was saying he's trying to do on behalf of his daughter it's like well fuck's sake man like lead by example then well you know I think that he probably is trying to do that but he's self-admittedly but he's a millionaire not a perfect man (laughs) he's making a million a year he's making 30k in 30 seconds and he spent it before he could count it so for all of his he's not saving money for all of his principles he certainly doesn't want to rock the boat I I was one of the last thing I was going to say about it is I wonder how much of uh, like his career trajectory is is dictated by the fact he doesn't want to go that extra mile because he keeps big company you know Mm -hmm. he keeps really big company Kendrick Lamar Mm -hmm. he's up Rocky you know and he walks to people like Run the Jewels and goes to the Gathering the Jugglers and stuff. So I wonder how much of it is like, I don't really want to go that level. Money talks. You know? uh, yeah. So what are we talking about next week then, if you've uh, voted this one? We are rocketing our way back up to Scandinavia. Uh-huh. Um, we are going to do an album called World Music by the band Goat. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so a psyche throwback 60s reference and stuff from this collective um, there'll probably be some issues around cultural appropriation. Hurrah! Mm. Uh, hopefully not as brazen as um, Tune Yards, though. 
Mm. Uh, but it's a it's a really fun album. It's a style of music we've not really covered, and I'd imagine at some point in the future we'll end up doing a psych rock mixtape mm. because there's a hell of a lot to talk about. We won't even attempt to do the genre justice. But this is a very very good example and a great entry point for people that aren't particularly familiar. Um, plus, it's like maybe the only band I can think of that's got two standalone sort of female vocalists just roaming about the stage, being like, it's a really compelling live show that that they put on. So mm-hmm. yeah, that album. Excellent. Great. Looking forward to it. Oh, thanks, guys. Go and vote on our Facebook page. Thanks. Bye. Bye.